Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Men Say podcast, soon to be named the Dan Neal Appreciation Show, as the youngster becomes the latest Sunderland fan to live his dream and score at the Stadium of Light. Top corner, no less. We'll speak about him and the win on Saturday, amongst other stuff. Joining myself, Stephen Goldsmith. As always, Gareth Barker. Hello. Hi. You okay? Yeah, good. Feeling good. Good. It does feel good, oh, doesn't it? All winning. Ref was back of the weekend, even though he's incompetent. It was nice to see him. Um, yeah, the sun was shining. It was. You know, it was just a nice, nice day for mm. for, for for many layers of reasons. Mm. And then Sunderland do what they've not been able to do in other in other seasons, and yeah, continue the winning streak. Yeah. yeah, that's good, isn't it? So, joining us as well this evening. Um, for the first time, what seems like forever, and I'm not really sure why that is, uh, James Hunter from the Evening Chronicle is with us. Good evening, gentlemen. I think I've been banished all of last season. <laughs> you know, really, I don't I think it's, it's, it's you more... You didn't a... want me dirtying <laughs> your door on uh, you know, lockdown season. I think it's more a reflection of us and our, our laziness, James, than it's more than anything else. That. <laughs> I won't take it as a personal affront. I won't take yeah. it as a personal affront. No, no, I, I definitely wouldn't do that. We've uh, we've had a conversation uh, recently. You say we should stop doing that, but you know what? Sunderland winning helps, doesn't it? And and like having a bit of enthusiasm back again, and everybody's feeling like James because we're just shy of thirty thousand there. And and let's be honest, if it was somebody with a bigger following that current Stanley, which is the majority of the teams in this division, then there would have been. It would have broke the 30k mark again. Yeah, yeah, definitely would. I mean, I think if you look at all four of the teams that Sunderland have played so far, none of them have, have brought, uh, or none of them are known for bringing larger mm. wave followings, are they? Um, so Sunderland's average attendance is just a fraction below 30,000 as we speak. So, you know, as the course of the, the season goes on, you'd expect that uh, uh, it will rise above that mark quite easily. It was. And the sun was shining as as, as, as Gareth said. Um, oh, that's one of the benefits of moving from the East Stand to the West Stand, you see, because uh, if you were in the East Stand and the sun was out, it was just hell. You'd just be fried in your seat um, until about the 70th minute. At six um, and two and... threes, though, Gareth, I can tell you, you, on a lovely, nice, warm day, if you sit in, in that yeah. West Stand, then it soon turns chilly. Yeah, at the, if you're at, well, if you're in the press bit right at the back, it's like... Sub zero temperatures all the time, so being up Everest. 
It's, Thought you want to say people, something there, Stephen, but no, you just I was just, silent. I, well, I, I was just letting you have a conversation. Some people like sitting in the sun and bacon, I would say. <laughs> well, good for them. Well, I mean, it does. We, you know, some people like sitting in the yeah, sun. I like sitting well. in the sun. It could be worse. You could be in row three behind the goal. <laughs> that would be worse. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking about that again. Although yeah. he would have had a good Richard's view of uh, the ball hitting the top yeah. bin early on in the game. It's bad decisions. Mm. You'd probably you'd be terrified if that was good. the ball's coming towards you all the time. You wouldn't see any of the goals because as soon as it was a kick, you'd have that instant instinctive sort of reaction, like flinch and like move move out the way. Well, one <laughs> one thing I'd say, like when you when you sit close to the really close to the pitch, what is one benefit of it? And I, I don't like sitting there. I'm not advocating sitting there. Um, but one thing you do, I, I feel like you do appreciate the, the skill level of the players more close up because football looks easier the further back you are and everybody should see the pass they should be making and the run they should be making. Um, and then when you actually get down pitch side, it's like, you know, not far off you're actually playing yourself would actually realise how quick these guys are at moving the ball yeah. and how skillful they are. That's that's definitely it's how strong they are as well. You know, it's a massive difference. It's down there, you know, where where the old press box used to be there, just at the side of the tunnel. You know, you were so much closer to the action, and you you did get that uh, uh, very different view of the game. Definitely, mm. it's, it's so kind of like it's kind of like a top view on a computer game now where we yeah. are. Yeah, oh, it is. It's ridiculous up there. Yeah. Um, so Richard would have got a good view of of what was a fantastic goal. Um, by Dan Neil. Um, interesting interview by him, which I'm going to speak to you about later, James. Um, but a very, very assured performance yet again from somebody who is quickly becoming the fan favourite at Sunderland. Yeah, uh, he's been excellent, hasn't he, Dan Neil? I mean, I think if you look back to last season, oh, sorry, last summer, um, he was very good in, in pre-season and everybody thought that uh, he would break into the, the first team and get get a, a real chance last year but um, as it turned out he just had a couple of league appearance a couple of substitute appearances and you know a few a few games in the uh, trophy uh, it didn't happen for him last season but this year again he's impressed in pre-season and this time crucially he's been given the chance by by Lee Johnson uh, and he's really, really impressed, hasn't he? Every single game he seems to get better uh, with each with each performance. When you consider, you know, he's still in his teens, and um, you know, he's he's played um, with such maturity. Uh, whether he's been called on to do that as a standing left back in some games, or uh, you know, in his natural midfield role, he's he's been excellent. And now that Corey Evans is fit, um, you start to look and you think, well. You know who, who misses out, don't you? If you've got Corey Evans, Luke O'Neill, and and Dan Neil, uh, if I was Lee Johnson, I'd be I'd be loath to break up that O'Neill and Neil partnership at the moment. Well, we're going to come on to that later, James, because we did a poll. Sorry, asking I've been people, reading your notes. We, I've been reading yeah, your notes. <laughs> we did a poll asking people that very question. It's a really interesting debate, and I want to I want to sort of have that in the second part because as, as its own as its own real debate, um, because it is an interesting one. Um, and I think it is on everybody's mind. So you're definitely sort of on the same page as us to bring that up. Uh, thoughts on Akrit and Gareth? I thought they're the best team we've played this season. You think? Personally. Yeah. Is it from a, from a, an organisational point of view in terms of like... So we started that well. And and I know the lads touched on this on the, on the reaction show that you feel like we're going to really put away a couple of teams at the stadium this year because weaker teams would have, would have folded quite quickly, I feel. 
Um, but I think they regained the, the composure. And, and although we should have been in front, you know, we missed a few good chances, didn't we? I still think they had the ability to come back and really put us under pressure the last 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, they were a bit one-dimensional, aren't they? I think... Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I think um, they were all right. I mean, they seem to have this sort of like wardrobe-sized people coming on all the time. These like men who sort of must be manufactured somewhere in Accrington where they just like kind of churn them out and like say, right, you're playing for Accrington, off you go, because um, we're all exactly the same. Which is quite remarkable, given the size of them, the amount of like rolling around on the floor. I mean, the number six, I can't remember what you call him, was a butcher or something. Um, if you're a Chris Lilly fan, uh, you would have heard of him refer to a game as Slap the Butcher in in the show called um, Summer Heights High. You would have thought he was involved in a game of Slap the Butcher, given the fact that he was rolling around on the floor with his face clutched all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were a bit weird in that respect. Um, but they were all right. I mean, it was a tough, it was a tough contest. I think, regardless of the way they played, I think like the physical stature of that team. Um, you know, it was it was a tough battle for like young players to you know come to come to terms with that. And we've had experienced League One players not manage to win that battle so to so they can play, and you know they had to earn the right to play. I guess, and I guess that's a cliche, isn't it? So. And they did. Um, and I thought Sergan was had his best game for Sunderland by a mile. He looked sharper. I think. I think like in his first few games, he's looked quite lethargic, a bit off the pace. Um, be interesting to see if we see a bit more from him going forward because um, we haven't really seen that yet. But from a defensive perspective, he was great. I thought. Um, and you know, you, obviously, you got Doyle in there, and mixed game for him. And I was a bit worried about him because I thought. You know, Ackman liked to clip that ball in between the goalkeeper and the and the centre backs. Um, and I thought, you know, Doyle does like to spend. Sometimes he just needs to get rid of it rather than trying to play. He always wants to play, which obviously coming from Man City, you'd expect, but he can't always do that. And he obviously got caught. He seems to have one of those every couple of games where someone will come and take the ball off him, um, and obviously nearly cost us. Um, but you know, he'll generally, you know, for the young lads that we've got in that team to to compete the way they did in that game was impressive. Um, from like you could, you can front. see them developing, you could yeah. see them developing for the course of the game. We keep saying that that's why, in a, you know, in the case of Doyle, that's why he's here, um, to iron out those mistakes. And you don't mind it if you're winning. It might yeah. be a different story if we're like doing an Ipswich and we're down the yeah. bottom, then people will be fuming saying, you know, we're getting these, we're making these players better for other teams and stuff. But we've got the luxury of winning, which makes everything look great. But I think you're right on Sergan. I think he has looked fatigued before now. And that defensive clearance off the line again, it's almost like you can see him coming with age yeah. as the game goes on. Yeah. And uh, he's got some competition now, James. Obviously, now Hume's come come back and re-signed on and that, that's going it, to it's it's good to see isn't it you need competition for places and I know people have their opinions or they might have their opinion on how that developed with Hume but we don't know what happened behind the scenes and we've just got to say he's another player who strengthens us as a, strengthens our squad certainly yeah I think um, obviously Lee Johnson wants two players per position um, you know, good cover in places so I think now if you've got Sirkin and and Denver Hume to cover the left back. That leaves you Niall Huggins and 
Winchester or you know O'Neill or uh, any one of a number of players that can play at right back, Lyndon Gooch even. Um, so yeah, I think having having Denver um, signing back on again is is a good thing. I think it would have been difficult for Sunderland to replace him certainly outside the. Uh, the transfer window. If you're looking at a free agent, I think we would struggle to to replace him. Um, but yeah, that was a situation that dragged on for far too long. Um, it seems that um, Denver's signed the contract that was that was offered to him last month. It's been on the table a while. So I guess if, if one side has to win, somebody has to back down. Um, it's it's Denver's side that have that have blinked first. You know, he 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 signed what was on offer. It wasn't improved any any more. Um, so I guess uh, it's worked out well for Sunderland. They've, they've stuck to their guns and they've not paid any more than they than they wanted to um, to sign uh, Denver back on. I think everybody just needs to now uh, put that situation behind them, move forward. He's back here. He's he's, he's still at the club. Um, so let's uh, uh, you know let, let's back him and, and support him. That's the important thing now. They've got him on a two year deal with an option of a third year. Um, he's still some way away from. Um, being fit enough to to come back into the first team, and he's not he's not kicked the ball since the end of last season. So um, there's still quite a way to go. I would expect you'll you'll see him in under 23 games and things long before you see him back in a first team shirt. And of course, even then, you would have to try and uh, displace Dennis Serkin as, as things stand, which which won't be an easy task. No, certainly I not. Think, and I think with you with Hume as well and the Conrad thing, I just think. People get a bit precious about these things, I think, to be honest. Like, clearly what's happened, he's been in... If he was fit, like McGeady on a nine and Wyke and Maguire were, or whoever it was who we offered the contract to, sorry, Maguire wasn't, he was released, wasn't he? Um, you know, at that time, they might have had a quicker resolution. He might not have stayed if he'd been fully fit. Obviously, he was injured at the back end of last season, and that's carried on into this season. He's still injured. Just the way it is, that's football. I mean... What he the way he's what the what he's done is no different to what Lugo Nine did in the summer. He waited around to see what the best offer he could get is, and he probably thought, oh, "I'll just stay at Sunderland for whatever reason." Like, what, however it's however it's spun, like based on what you think of a certain player's character. I'm sorry, but like, if there was a better offer on the table for that player. They'd take it. Obviously, there wasn't, so they took the they took the Sunderland deal. I mean, that you know, if you, if they had a, had a concrete opportunity to play at a higher level on a better wage, they would have taken it. So, and that's what these players are waiting for, generally. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm just thinking thinking in in general. Obviously, players are advised by agents. Perhaps yeah. the agent looked at the Sunderland offer and and said to Denver, "No, you." You know you're worth more than that. You can get more than that. But as time's ticked away, yep. uh, clearly there hasn't been a better offer exactly. come in there. So he's, his he's, situation is harder, obviously, with the injury. That's what, yeah. and and it's just the way these things happen. That's football, you know. Like pl- players don't often stick around for that long at clubs now. No. You know, three and no. a half years, four years tops. I mean, so players at a club of four or five years, it's like, you know, it might as well be ten years. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, Generally, you know, turnover you're talking like what two, two and a half years on players generally. Yeah, yeah. But I just think, like I say, now you just all have to to move on from from that. And I just hope that when Denver does come back in, everybody's hundred percent behind him. I'm sure they will. They will be. I don't see any 
any point to you know holding a grudge over over the fact that he you know held out for a, a better deal and didn't come along. Yeah, indeed, and you know I think people would do well to remember um, what the thought was happening with Magic and what didn't. So just to prove that we don't know what's going on, do we? So yeah, there you go. But uh, your opinion generally on 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 Sirkin and and Doyle James and these young players who were starting to starting to grow with us at the back. Yeah, they've they've been really really impressive. You know, Callum Doyle's been really impressive. I, you know, I know what you, you say about him overplaying at times, and he and he did overplay on on Saturday on that one occasion, didn't he? When uh, uh, he got caught in possession and. Uh, Accrington could easily have scored had it not been for the other really impressive uh, young defender, Sirkin, making that brilliant block from from Colby Bishop. Um, that was one that they, they got away with. Um, but, you know, Callum Doyle's 17 years old. To have made as few mistakes as he's, as he's made at 17 years old, what's he going to be like in five years' time? You know, he, he could be a, an incredible player by, by that stage. Of course, you're going to make mistakes when you're still in the very, very early days of your of your senior career, um, you forget what Sunderland played. What half a dozen, you know, not less, not even ten games if you include the cup games. So you know that's how that's how little senior football um, Callum Doyle's you know ever played for anybody. So he's, he is still learning, um, and he will get better and better and better as will as will Sirkin and uh, you know these other players that we've not yet seen so much of, like. Uh, like Huggins and, of course, Leon Dejaku when, when he comes in. Um, the big decision at the weekend was to was to give uh, Torben Hoffman his his debut. Um, what did you make of, of him, guys? Um, personally, uh, I think he struggled. Um, I think I've seen overreactions from, from both sides on, on his performance. I think I, I don't think you could watch that performance in isolation forget about it being his first game or whatever, and say, yes, he is definitively better than what we've already got. However, it was his first game and he's come from a, a different country and he's been thrown straight in. So I don't think we can make snap judgments, but if we just talk about this game in isolation, I, 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 was it any different from what we've got? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was personally. Yeah. It's difficult I mean, to say, think, isn't it? Sorry, go on, James. So I was just going to say, if I looked at it, I wasn't impressed with, with his debut. Um, he looked... Um, he was very good with his with his feet, um, but when it came to decision making and coming mm-hmm. out to claim crosses and set pieces, which are what Accrington played for, um, crosses and set pieces, um, he was unconvincing, wasn't he? He came off his, his line and didn't get there two or three occasions. Um, fortunately, Sunderland weren't punished for any of those, so uh, uh, you know to that extent things worked out okay. Um, but I'm only judging him there on 90 minutes. I haven't seen any more of him than that. So I'm, I'm not saying that he's a poor player. I'm not writing him off as a, as a signing. I'm just saying that on that 90 minutes, I wasn't impressed with him. Um, and I, I'd like to think that uh, over a period of two or three or four or 10 or 40 games, you know, he'll, he'll prove to be a, a very good addition as he comes to term you know, hopefully quickly with, with football and the demands in, mm. in this country. You feel, I mean, he's played very, very little first-team football as, as and well. I mean, and the, okay, and the safe option would have been, the safe option would have been to leave him on the bench. So they've obviously seen something and they obviously believe he's got the, he's got the pedigree to start because he was thrown straight in. Um, so, 
you know. Yeah, we don't know how fit Lee Burge was. Of course, with with his in, injury, that might have he might have started ahead of Burge because there might have been um, you know an after effect of that injury that he had. But then Anthony Patterson wasn't included in the in the squad at all. Um, yeah. You know, and, and he'd started the previous two or three games, hadn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and done nothing wrong. Um, so they, they've got they've got three goalkeepers now competing for for that shirt. I know. Lee Burge has come in for quite a lot of stick from from fans at times. Gareth, I don't I don't think there's that much wrong with him. To be quite honest with you, um, you know he's, he's a League One goalkeeper. He will make mistakes, otherwise he wouldn't be playing in League One. Um, but I think he's I think he's fine. And and to me, there's not much to choose between him and Hoffman based on what I saw on on Saturday. But that well, may change when I see yeah, more. Yeah, hopefully, you know, like the defenders we've just been talking about there, he's here to iron out those those little mistakes. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't hell. It wasn't sort of Robin Reuter territory, was it? <laughs> um, no. Do you know you what? Know, the, the, you know, it wasn't one of those kind of debuts or early shows, was it? The most difficult cross you had to deal with, he took really well. It was like towards the end towards of the... Towards the end of the game, like, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. took a really good, yeah. it was a really good fizzed-in ball and he took it really well. But apart from that, I mean, you you could debate whether or not you know, I'm not a, an expert in goalkeeping, so and don't like to say you know he should have done better there. Sort of cliche because I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but you look like if you looked at the goal and wanted to be hypercritical, the distance the header is from the goal, and he gets right across. Gets a good hand on it and it still goes in. Oh, that's um, not down to him. That goal. No, I'm not. I'm not blaming yeah. him, but I'm just saying if it was, if you wanted to be hypercritical, you'd say, "Well, you got there and you didn't. You didn't keep it out." So, I mean, there might be people out there who know a lot more than me, and I'm not saying that, that is definitely the case. It's harder when you're like obviously in in League One and there's one camera, and you only get a look at it from the the one view basically, and it's and there's no like slow motion replays or anything so I didn't think that at the time see. I'll be honest or even when I've seen it back on telly I, I wouldn't attribute it might be one of them where if he'd actually saved it he would have gone oh that's a really good save yeah. um, I, didn't, I didn't put the goal down to him nah. the goal was down to Luke O'Neill who, who let yep. uh, Nottingham go didn't he yeah. um, so I wouldn't put the goal down to him it was, there were just two or three I forget whether they were crosses or set pieces from yeah. off the top of my head now but, um, but he came off his line came halfway didn't get there and he was kind of stranded in, in no man's land um, those were the ones that I, I was sort of more thinking of rather than, than the goal um, and it's a good it test first up because like, I couldn't play like that as Gareth said so you know it, we're talking about these players ironing out these mistakes while they're here and in a way it's a good baptism of fire for them because you're thinking not many teams are going to do this more than this team and yeah. shaky enough but he got through the game yeah, well, no, as I say, none of those—I'm um, going to call them mistakes. None of those, none of those errors cost Sunderland, which was sort of the opposite to the Robin Reuter situation, where it seemed that every time he made a mistake, it did cost a goal, didn't it? Um, so you know, it was a, it was a different um, it was a different kind of scenario in in that respect. But maybe Accrington played to up to it a bit as well. They knew that there was a young, experienced keeper making his first appearance in English football. Um, so they decided to test him out a bit with, with this, you know, stick the ball in the box. And as uh, Gareth said, you know, it's a bit like Land of the Giants in in there where the uh, Accrington players are concerned and, and they decided to sort of put him under a bit of pressure. Mm, I talked about players making mistakes, um, you know, and, and they did it. And 
Sam Sherring, I think, number three for Accrington. Um, I can't ever remember a defender not wanting the ball from his keeper as much as him. The amount of times you put his hand up saying, no, no, you're not all right, even though he had loads of time. There was a one point he just kicked it straight out for a throw-in. There was another time he just chipped it straight back where three of our players were standing around unopposed from Accrington players. Um, and that was a very, very shaky performance from from a defender, as you'll see. So, you know, other teams are doing it as well. He's on loan from Bournemouth, I think. So, um, yeah. yeah, that was quite, it was quite a, quite a comical performance from from him. He had a bit of a mare. Um, I did appreciate one bit of shit out from one of their players as well. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, I think it might have been the, it was the forward 32. Who was that? Charles. Um, Charles, was it? Yes, I think it was him. Was when yeah. he should have went off the pitch because he went down injured and then yeah. got treatment and he didn't leave. I actually, you know, the South Stand were mental and sort of boom because he should have went off for treatment and he didn't. And he kind of looked at the South Stand and just started laughing his head off, which I, thought, I kind of respected that. Um, I couldn't get angry at him because he knew he should have went off and he thought it was hilarious how angry everybody was getting at him. So he lost, he lost control of the game, that. the referee, didn't he? Mm. A bit and he just... He, Think that that head injury one where he got kicked the ball in his own face basically, and then we had a break on about four against one, and he pulled it back. I think it was at that point where um, he was never going to recover. I don't think the referee. But yeah, mm. they'll always, they'll always, they'll, they'll, they'll say they should stop the game for head injuries. Or you saw this in the, I watched this, this happened a couple of times in the um, Leeds Liverpool game. I was watching on Sunday as well. And- People get angry because the second somebody was going down with a head injury, he was just stopping it straight away. Funny as well because yeah. people, I think the new some of the new regulations and like restarting the game with the drop ball. That was a great moment where you restart the game with the uncontested drop ball and he just like plonked it into the box on on the half volley like a perfect cross. Just like if it scored from that, I mean that was ridiculous. But yeah, I think a lot of people are still unaware of that. You get the uncontested drop ball for for head injuries. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was that was that would have been a lot of fume, I think, if it. Uh, that was. Good. I think that's a bit of a flaw because obviously you've got to give them the space, and there's no way that if they had the ball in that situation in the game, they would have been under no pressure, so they could just like chip the ball into the box. Um. And obviously that that's what you can do in those situations. So. Yeah, it's a bit uh, bit of a strange one, but no doubt when someone does score from one of those, that's when the uh, that's when the, it'll start getting told about. What I'll say again, if we're talking about individuals and and, and prayers, then before we, before we move on, because we're saying you know we're renaming this a Daniel appreciation show. Uh, Ross Stewart, despite he should have done better with a, a chance he had, um, I do feel like his performance was exceptional again. In that there were times when Accrington was sort of making a battle of the game, which we've seen in previous seasons. And we've always been able to, we've never been able to drag ourselves away from that level. And we've been dragged into their game. And um, what you need to do at times, you know, in those kind of times is you can't always play the ball neatly and try and break the lines with all these intricate passes and stuff. And sometimes you need an outlet up front and you need to just say, right, I'm going to have to just go along and hope he sent forward, does something with it. And I thought he was outstanding in that respect, that every time the ball was pumped down the channel, he was getting there in front of his defender and he was holding the ball up and he was letting us just catch up and take a breather. And 
as as a lone striker, I think he's outstanding player at this level. He wins so many 50-50s as well, aerial 50-50s. Because just because he's tall doesn't mean he's going to win the headers. Seeing so loads of tall players, you know, go up against centre backs and they can't win win the the battles. I thought the first twenty five minutes he was absolutely brilliant, unplayable. Like some of his first touch and the way you, that first touch control and then getting the ball out and using the ball effectively, he was just like great. He's so mobile, isn't he? You yeah. know, for for, for a, a reasonably big guy, I think. Obviously, Charlie White scored the thirty odd goal, thirty one goals last season, um, and that's you know that, that's that's no mean feat for, for anybody to do that. Um, but it's interesting you look at, at this season and you see how well Ross Stewart's playing. Sunderland don't look like they're missing Charlie mm-hmm. White, um, and obviously Charlie's not yet got a goal at Wigan. You know, he says a week or so before Sunderland play Wigan, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I'm tempted for it a bit there, but um, the point he'll is, play, that, he'll not play. He'll not play. Probably not. But um, you know, Ross Stewart's been so good. I sit next to um, Rob Mason at the at the Stadium of Light in the press box there, and we were both um, you know full of praise for uh, uh, for Ross Stewart. You know, he chases so many lost causes and makes something out of out of lost causes. You know, when it would have been easy to look at it and it would have run out of play, but he gets there and he makes something, um, gives Sunderland a, a chance, gives, you know, keeps the ball in play and, and keeps the move alive. And uh, yeah, he's just been he's been so impressive for me since the start of the season. And the sheer the sheer volume of chances we create now as well. It's not like you know you have those games where you're like, oh, I can't believe we didn't score today. You have that one game where you just have a hat full of chances and don't convert them, and then. It goes back to the normal. The next way, you know, you create two or three chances. It's been every game this season we create so many chances, like yeah. good chances as well. I mean, you you know, where we get into the box and get an opportunity to shoot. Um, you know, oftentimes unchallenged as well. Um, or you you maybe you got one defender to beat, and it's down, that's down to having someone like Ross Stewart because he, he gives you a lot more. Um, in terms of, you know, creating situations in which we, we can bring other players into the game and, and create those good chances. Um, you know, whereas with White, it was more, you know, we def- it was more a case of get the ball wide, get the crosses in, and him getting on the end of them. Whereas Ross's, Ross Stewart's game is a lot more about the general the general play. And I think that's been having Embleton in that 10 position, Having Stewart up front in the style he plays has changed the way we play completely. And having Dan Neal in, in centre midfield because he's a midfielder who wants to pass the ball forward all the time. Um and we haven't had we haven't had a proper ten since we I mean Honeyman possibly. Um, we haven't had a really proper a proper number ten since we've come down and we haven't really had that, you know, player who plays in the centre midfield who can pass a pass a ball. Like properly, I'm not talking about being able to pass it sideways, about you know creating goals, creating chances. So, and you know, yeah, it's been it's been a massive difference, and just the energy, the energy levels, the athleticism, all of that stuff that we've been missing in the last three years we've been in this division are all there. Which that's the thing that gives you hope, kind of thinking, yeah, we're on a good run, and we are going to have a bad spell at some point, but when we've We've not 
we've we've won games and had good spells playing a different way. We've never played this way, and ha- and as a result, you know, we are playing this way, and we're getting results. And what's the best start of the season for nearly a hundred years? Is ninety six years? Yeah. Um, best start of a home season, home um, run of games at the start of the season since nineteen seventy five. Um, winning four on the bounce and we won the league I think that year so definitely got promoted yeah um, so yeah there's lots of positive lots of positive signs at the moment I want to I I want to extend on that I want to extend on that we'll have a break and then we're going to extend on that and talk more about the start we've had and the way we're playing and get that midfield a bit as well Wise Men Say podcast is brought to you in association with From the Terrace for a 10% discount. Enter the code WMS10 at the checkout stage. Bucket heads. While you do that, check out the From the Terraces podcast presented by Rory Fallow and Matthew Keeling. T-shirts. For more information, search for From the Terraces on social media. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Wise Men Say podcast. We are just going to do another 10 minutes or so now and talk and have that debate that everybody seems to be having on the midfield. But I want to just extend uh, the conversation from what we were just talking about before the break there in terms of just Sunderland's good start, really. Um, and we do this graphic every Sunday where we have the league table and we also place on that league table um, the Sunderland of previous campaigns and how they will be doing on this current league table. And we've also got the red dotted line which uh, shows us the marker for two points per game which is normally in this division enough to get you promoted and it shows how quickly that uh, two point per game red line creeps up because now only Sunderland and Wigan are ahead of that this season um, in the league table it's the it's officially the best start Sunderland have had as you've just said for years anyway but um, in this division as well the Jack Ross first season of 2018-19 and last season, the start under Phil Parkinson would both see us top of the division as well, but we're a point better off now than of those two campaigns. The difference with that, I guess, is when you look at the top six, um, so the five teams below Sunderland, we've played four of them already and beaten them. So that's quite something, isn't it? 
that, and they've that's, got games. They've the all got games in hand on us as well. Mm. Some have a game in hand then. No, yeah, yeah. We've got, sorry, yeah, they've. Yeah, sorry, yeah, we've got a game yeah. in hand on all those four teams. Apologies, yeah. 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 It has been an excellent start, and I've got to say that um, for me, the, the crucial game, the absolutely crucial game, was against Wigan, first game of the season. It's always important to get off to a good start. Ob- obviously, you know, and that for first game just for for people's spirits. But I think it was even more so uh, this season. Um, it was crucial because. Going into that game, of course, there were only three new signings in the building. There were no specialist fullbacks in the squad. Um, and at that stage, going into that Wigan game, which is a tough game with obviously the max power and Charlie White um, factor and whatnot, I think if Sunderland had lost that game, it would have felt very flat at the stadium. I think fans would have been you know, quite dispirited by it. But winning that game bought... Lee Johnson and Christian Speakman and and the other guys, it's bought them time to bring in more players. So by the time the next league game arrived, I think there were another couple of players arrived, including a um, including a fullback. So it, it bought them that time to, to to bring in the players. Whereas I think if they'd have lost that that opening game, they would have been really un, under pressure. Um, even though it sounds it sounds silly to be under pressure after one game, but I think that's what the feeling would have would have been amongst fans at least, even though. Of course, there was still another 45 games to, to turn things around. But I know Lee Johnson often says, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And it was so important that they made a good first impression on, on that opening day. I don't know what, what you make of that, guys, but that's what I thought anyway. No, I, I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think the huge game, really, um, in terms of setting the tone. But I think like Gareth alluded to earlier as well, just the front foot football as much as anything, because I think, you know, it allows a team more patience in that, you know, we've just mentioned now that the two Sunderland teams who, who've previously um, played in this campaign uh, in this division would have um, also been top at point behind, but, but the difference is they were drawn, they were drawn games within that where now, you know, we've, yes, we've, we've lost a game already. And I'd probably say that teams of previous seasons wouldn't have lost that game at Burton and they would have, the way they're set up and they would have played, they would have got a point out of, but how many of these games we've won would they have drawn also? And that's what we keep saying, that we're going to maybe have to just take it on the chin that we'll lose some games a season. But as long as we're winning more than we normally do and we're turning those draws into wins, that's the difference. Not just in terms of the point tally, but in terms of people's perception, people's enjoyment of going to the game because we're closing people down. We've got players, like Gareth said, like Neil, who's looking to break the lines. Embleton, a proper number 10, who looks like he's... He's, he's going to make things happen. And um, that goes a long way, doesn't it? So, you know, positive. And this could all change quite quickly, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, but we saw, and, but we we've saw, got Bolton know... in a couple of weeks. That They're the other team mm. out of this. So they're the only team out of the, the five blows we haven't played yet. And they do look quite good, I think. So that'll be good. There'll be, goals well. in that, there'll be goals in that game. Yeah, they open up. That'll, be, know, that'll well. be a very open game. Um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, if we look at a game like that, a team who play very open um, and exploit exploit teams who play open, it'll be interesting yeah, to see. That's what they do. That's the, the way for teams to attack them, don't they? Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we decide, well, we're going to be a little bit more conservative in our approach to that game or they're just going, no, we're just going to go for it and, and do what we do and we've got, we're better than you, so we'll beat you. It'll be interesting to see what happens there, but they've got, you know, a good opportunity now to 
you know, who we've got in the, we've got Fleetwood, who had a good result the weekend, Bolton, uh, Cheltenham. Uh, and who's the game after that? I'm trying to think, I can't remember. But yeah, to get 10 games a season, they've got a good chance, I think, of... You've got Portsmouth after that. Have we? Portsmouth, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, they've, they've so pretty the same as they kind of have done for most years, like most seasons have been down here. Sort of... Not an aggressive, not as an, an aggressive attacking as attacking threat as they were the first year we were down. Uh, since then, they've been more of a one nil sort of team, haven't they? Um, and that seems to be the way they are under Cowley as well. So, you know, we have got. I think we have got a good chance. You know, of, of getting to that ten game mark, and you know, maybe chalking up another two or three wins before then. And you know, if we were in that position, you'd be looking what how many. You know, twenty. You know, having twenty four, twenty five points after your first ten games, you'd have absolutely, you know, snapped the hands off for that at the start of the season. Um. So, just got to keep your fingers crossed that they can they can keep going. You know, the squad wise, we're probably looking all right depth wise. So, which is really good. So if we do get a couple of knocks and bring people in. Evans is waiting to come back in. Obviously, Giacu's signed and didn't even make the bench. O'Brien didn't even make the bench. He's got a hat trick the other week. Um, so there's lots of uh, lots of good good stuff going on at the moment. Um, but yeah, I know the lads mentioned the reaction, but the only things that are at the back of your mind all the time is like the streaky Lee thing, isn't it? It's just like how can we break? Can he break that? If that's followed him around for his entire career as a manager, then can he do? Can he break it here? Mm-hmm. And you, you've got to hope you can because if you it's all very well having a great ten games and then the next ten, if you only win two or something like that, all that good work you've done's been undone. Well, well let's, let's hope let's, let's be positive. Yeah, let's it? be positive. It, it does feel. I know it always. You know, it does. It does feel a bit different this time because of that energy and enthusiasm. I feel as though if you play like that way. Like play like that at home, um, like we did in the like in even in the playoffs. You know when you had the fans back last season, the way we played with that energy in that game, it does make a massive difference. Of course it does. Despite what people like Liam Bridcut uh, Bridcut incorrectly say yeah, well. <laughs> that Sunderland in some way benefit from behind closed doors when well. it's just statistically factually incorrect because yeah. they they lost more games than ever that season and uh, they've been very good at home with fans being there. Um, it brings us on to that, you know, you mentioned the midfielders there and, you know, four into three, I guess. Um, Lugo 9, Daniel, Elliot Embleton, Corey Evans and that's the debate people are having. So. Well, it's not two into three, really. I would remove Embleton. From, I know you put him in the poll, but... He's he's a, he's kind of off the front, really, isn't he? So I would say he's not going to go into it like a. I don't think Evans, O nine, and uh, Neil are competing for his place. So do you want me to rewrite the poll and do it again? Yeah, no, well, no, yeah. no, no, because your poll worked because it was a midfield three. Well, yeah, those, but they so. kind of put like you know it is it is he drops back deep as well, Emble, and he, it, it's not just off a striker, and that's sort of you know that's that's a thing that's like people get pigeonholed in over ten, but. He's, you know, he's, I would say he's more of a midfielder than a forward anyway. So as we said, Lugo 9, Daniel, Elliot Nambleton, uh, Corey Evans. And so we put the the, the the four different combinations of those three and asked people who they would 
Um, like to play, I only put this out a few hours ago, uh, didn't I? I'm actually score nearly 900 votes, not bad at all, really. And it shows it is quite topical. Um, in last place with two percent would be Evans, O'Nine, and Embleton. Um, second last place with six percent was Evans, O'Nine, and Dan Nail. So I think what people are telling us is they want Dan Neil and Elliot Embleton in the team. Yeah. Um, and they overwhelmingly um, went for those two options. Um, so in second place on 39% was the midfield we saw at the weekend, Lugo 9, Dan Neil, Elliot Embleton. But the preferred one, and it's, it's probably the one we've mentioned we would, we would go for, would be um, Evans, Neil and Embleton. Um, I think lots of things... I was at? That was 53%. 53%. Yeah. That shows that Corey Evans has been bought in multiple times in your poll. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, you know, lots lots of factor in. It's not as black and white as that, is it? And I think lots of replies to this and stuff. uh, Like all Phil King, thanks Phil, kind of summed up really the the situation to say it's a hard time between O'Neill and Evans because um, Evans is probably better technically but Luke nine obviously gives you the levels of energy and commitment. I'm not sure where Evans' body would allow for. So that's the debate really, James, isn't it? That the manager's got. And it was interesting that when you guys spoke with Dan Neal at the end of the game and he was being very open about his weaknesses and his strength in his game. And I thought what was interesting was he said that Luke nine told him to go make that run into the box before he scored the goal, which shows us how important that is and communicate. We talk about it. We talk about it with Flanagan and his communication with Doyle throughout the game. And it just shows that players do bring stuff to the table that fans don't often see as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that, that whole debate about you know who are your midfield who are your two sitting midfielders in front of the back four there. Um, you know, Evans and O'Neill were doing very well at the start of the season, weren't they? When uh, Dan Neal was playing left back at that point. Yeah. Um, and then almost as soon as, well, in fact, as soon as um, Evans picked up that injury down at MK Dons, and um, uh, that was when Neil moved into midfield, and that was when yeah. Sirkin came in at left back. So it dovetailed nicely. Um, I think now, though, now when you look at it, if you if you Lee Johnson, you're probably loath to break up that that pairing of O'Neill and uh, and Neil. But at the same time, it was noticeable on, on Saturday um, that there were several times when Luke O'Neill seemed to, to be holding his arm. Uh, and you do wonder about that uh, dislocated shoulder, just how much it does trouble him. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, he can't carry on playing, but it probably means that from time to time, he's going to have to you know, take a bit of a breather and just look after himself a little bit. Um, certainly can't be playing two games a week, week in, week out. Um, so if you've got Corey Evans here, you've got somebody experienced, you know, got a wise older, older head, you know, that's the sort of perfect counterbalance, isn't it, to, to Dan Neal in midfield. And we haven't yet seen, um, I'm trying to think, I don't think we've seen, have we seen Evans and Neal play together yet? If we have, it must have been one of the cup games. Um, must have been a, but they're not, no, they're not they played MK Dons together. Uh, so like, did Sergeant start at MK Dons? I can't, I can't. I can't remember. If we have, we've not seen much of them anyway. We've not seen much of them play together. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see the two two of them more more along alongside each other. Um, I think 
knowing what, what Lee Johnson's like, he's very much a horses for courses type person. So I think he'll, there'll be some games where he'll, he'll want just the, um, the youthful exuberance or more youthful exuberance of, of Neil and, and Ornaib. And there'll be other games, let's say against, um, you know, Portsmouth or, uh, uh, you know, the teams that you'd expect Sunderland to be competing with for promotion where he, he might value um, that extra experience of uh, of Evans in there, just a, a bit of a steadying. See, because I was kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking, it's really interesting because I was kind of thinking the other way that I was thinking like, maybe some of those games where you're going to be on the back foot a little bit and you're going to concede the team uh, possession and teams are going to attack you. He might prefer all nine and just try and get amongst it and try and win the ball back and do all the dirty work against some of the teams who you think you're going to have all of the ball and you need to make it count. You need to make your possession count because you're going to have so much of it. He'd probably prefer Evans, who's more composed on the ball and and would, would do less running. So you can look at things in different ways. Does Evans... Isn't, but like, I know like 0-9's all action and all that, but does Evans have to do that? Has he not got that? But that's what I'm saying. It could, dep- yeah, could, it could depend just, on the... On I'm the, not even saying that. I'm just saying in a game where it's... I don't think Evans is going to get about the pitch as much as all No, but does. I'm not talking about my point. I'm saying with Evans in the team, would enough situations occur in which he'd have to break his neck to to get back to to make clearance? Because I'm my point is, you know, he's probably he's got a yard in his head, as as they say, um, and he probably doesn't, you know, think all nine sometimes when that when the second balls are about and he's probably got a bit more time he's he's more liable to give the ball away because he wants to play it first time so he wants to head it he doesn't want to bring the ball down and use the ball and he's not that great with the ball at his feet anyway um, he doesn't look comfortable on the ball sometimes compared to Evans so my point is sometimes it's a, you've got when you've got to recover it looks you know it, it looks better because you re, you're recovering so you're like making that last ditch challenge and my point is are we going to have are we going to see less percentages of those situations with a player in the team who would not give the ball away as much in certain areas which would lead to opportunities for the opposition because he's better like in my opinion Evans is better, a better much better football than 09 yeah of course he is so like it's it's just it's funny in it with 09 and and, and McGeady it's a good thing whereas like you would argue maybe the last two years previously, ex- ex- except for the time that, um, or let's say since we've been in League One, for the vast, vast majority of the time, unless you feel Parkinson, with, in McGeady's case, they've been the two most important players, our, easily our two most important players, to the point where, um, you know, you you basically just like give the ball to to McGeady, just give the ball to McGeady and see if he does something. And then with o- o- 09, it's obviously you, well, you'll play well at right back, you play well at centre back. So, and he's been really good for us there. And he's looked much better than other players around him. This year, it feels as though a little bit like, which certainly nowhere near as reliant on McGeady. Not that McGeady, I don't think McGeady's been particularly bad. I just think we're playing a, a different way, which means nowhere near as reliant on him. And, but he's not been, he's not had as much impact as, as he would normally. And then with 09, again, I would say he, he looks behind other people now, which is a good thing because it means we've we've found a balance of players, which means we don't have to rely on these people so much. So, and you might I, have to move. You might have to move Embleton. I know you earlier on we were having a debate in the in the group chat, and you were sort of 
they're very much against that, which is fair enough, because it's not something I was particularly condoning, that we move Embleton one of the wide positions. I was just suggesting that, actually, as the season goes on, James, Sunderland, if there's one area of the pitch you would say they're a little bit short, it would be the wide players. So Embleton might have to find himself in one of those positions at some point, which means you have a free midfield to play anyway. Yeah, well, he's, he's played he's played out, you know, in those sort of wide uh, forward roles plenty of times, seen him loads of times do that for the under-23s, you, you know, so uh, he's fine with that on either side, neither the right or the left. Um, I mean, of course, there's there's Alex Pritchard, which who we've not even mentioned this evening, another another guy that can come in and take that sort of number 10 role that Embleton's yeah. been been playing. He's, you know, he's perfect in, in there too. Um, and then there's Aidan O'Brien who can also operate in those wide forward roles um, he can you know, play in that he, did. he can play off the front as well so. yeah he can play off the front I so think Pritchard and O'Brien are more very, like very versatile front. yeah closer to the front um, players I think Embleton's a bit more withdrawn yeah. I think you know what Gareth was saying earlier about how open uh, a game against someone like Bolton could be um, knowing that Lee Johnson values control of a game quite a lot that might be the sort of game where he'd want to play Corey Evans and say, right, okay, we can't be wide open and have this turn into a basketball match, you know. Um, we need somebody sitting who's a wise head and, and can sort of put a stop to that. And that would be the kind of kind of game I would expect um, Corey Evans to, to play personally. Yeah, no, go along with that. So some options there and encouraging and refreshing to see Sunderland top of the league uh, at the moment. And um, looking like they're doing well. It's a bit weird we don't have a midweek game uh, to talk about. Um, I don't know what to do when you've only got Saturday 3 pm kickoffs. What, you know, what was all that about? Mm, yeah. Question, uh, not, big question not, we've not even touched on is you know, who'll play centre back on, on Saturday? You know, yeah, that's suspended. a good point. That is a good point. Alves and, or, uh, yeah, or be right. They'll be right. They'll be right. You'd think be so. right. Yeah, you'd yeah. think so. I mean, Matt and the, and the preview. The preview lads will be will be looking at that in more detail. But I, I thought about this earlier, and I thought there's there's just considering what Doyle needs alongside him, as we've said, yeah. and all the wise ahead of talking through the game, you'd be amazed if that if that wasn't if that yeah. wasn't barely right. So, anything else anyone wants to add before we take off? No, 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 all good. Take that as a good thing. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs> Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.